In 1901, a woman by the name of Annie Taylor climbed into a barrel so that she could ride that barrel over Niagara Falls, the first person to do so. The reason for her crazy endeavor? She was struggling to make ends meet, and she was hoping for fame and financial security. It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, a faith and family mortgage team that tries to improve your financial outlook without having to ship you over a 170-foot waterfall. Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance, or help you with a cash-out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. Right now, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Mike Fabares. He's the founding pastor of Compass Bible Church and the president of Compass Bible Institute, both located in Aliso Viejo, California. Pastor Mike is a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. That's one of the reasons we love him so much. Talbot (laughs) School of Theology, Westminster Theological Seminary in California. He's authored several books, including Raising Men, Not Boys, Lifelines for Tough Times, and his latest book for Moody Publishers is titled Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had. He's going to talk to us about it right now. Mike, it's great to have you with us here on Mornings with Tom and Toby. It's great to be here, Tom and Tabby. Well, we're uh, so glad to have you. And I love this topic. I'm looking at the, the cover of the book, too, and it's got these eyes and these furrowed brows and then the big word envy. And I love that because it's kind of like it's right there in plain sight, but you kind of have to look for it almost. And that's how envy is. But a lot of people don't address envy these days. What made you decide to write about it? Well, you know, you can see a lot of the effects of envy, envy, but sometimes we don't see that the core problem is that I am envious, right? There's, envy has a lot to do with the way we start looking at people with that furrow brow out of the edge of our eye and, and think those people, um, we just start being bitter toward them. We start saying things about them that we didn't even know why we said such negative things about them. We, we start growing in our frustration toward people. And the real cause, if we start to analyze it, is that uh, I don't like that they have some things that I think I should have. Mm-hmm. I, get, I get a little bit frustrated that uh, that guy makes more money than I do. And, and I've been here longer. And, you know, I don't understand why she looks so much better in these photos than I do or whatever it might be. <laughs> but there are plenty of things that we do that we really never trace back to the root problem. So I just, one week in my ministry, it just felt like every single day as I was thinking deeply about the problems in this ministry or in that problem in our staff, I just thought, you know, the real problem is what the Bible calls envy. And I just couldn't think of a single book that had been written, at least in the last 50 years, on the topic. And I said, I've just got to figure out what I can do to at least contribute to analyzing the problem. Mm, okay. Powerful. Absolutely. You're hearing from Dr. Mike Fabares talking about envy. And you know, Mike, people often use the words jealousy and envy. They're, they do interchangeably, but is there a difference in the way that the Bible actually uses those words? Yeah, there is. And it's a very subtle difference in some situations, but I can be jealous of things just like God is jealous of things that uh, are appropriate, right? If someone is is 
you know, doing something in a situation where I think, well, wait, that's not rightly theirs, or this is rightly mine. Or, uh, you know, God looks at us, and, and if we engage in putting things above God and we are uh, idolatrous, to use the biblical word, we start really pursuing with all of our heart and soul and strength something other than God. God says, I'm, I'm jealous. Matter of fact, he calls himself a jealous God, right? Mm-hmm. Exodus 34. So we need to be the kinds of people who recognize sometimes you can be jealous, you know, for your spouse, you know, if, if someone is hitting on your spouse, right? Those are appropriate feelings. But coveting is always in the scripture, something that is wrong, because it, it really is the foundation for envy. Coveting means I really want something, and I don't have any particular right to that thing, and now I'm bitter toward the person that has it. And you got to go all the way back to Cain and Abel to see the first example of this. And what was it that Cain was, was jealous of, in a sense, or covetous of? And that was that Abel had an acceptable sacrifice, and he was being uh, blessed by God, and he said, I want that. I tried. I failed. And God just said, hey, all you got to do is do the right thing. You'll be okay. Worry about your own situation. And Cain couldn't do that. All he started to do was harbor this resentment toward his brother, his literal brother, Mm -hmm. and he ends up killing him. And and that's just the power of envy, where I can look at someone else and start to really get angry at them, even though they had nothing to do with the fact that I'm not getting what I want. And, And so we've got to really be careful that we don't just say, well, it's jealousy. Well, sometimes that's used interchangeably in our discussion, but in the Bible there is a distinction. And so we need to know when it's become uh, the problem of, of envy, because envy is always going to be something that is off limits. I should not feel that way, and mm-hmm. then I should really start to attack the source problem, the key problem, the core problem. There is a word. It is a four-letter word. It's not the one that you're thinking about. This word is called envy. And this is one of those things that is so insidious, so damaging that you don't even know it's a part of what's happening until it's already taken over. We're talking about that right now with Dr. Mike Fabares. And Mike, we've talked about it maybe showing up in in posts and, and social media, but you said that the damage isn't necessarily that kind of a global damage. It's more intimate when it's those circles around you. No, totally. Yeah, we're always really showing the most pure form of envy when I am envious towards someone that is nearby, someone that is close to me, someone, you know, it's one thing for me to sit around and go, wow, you know, Brad Pitt, look at him. He gets the private jet and the great mansion. And I may, I may covet some of that, Mm -hmm. but it's the guy that works next to me. That's just got the nicer car, you know, or seems Mm -hmm. to have the friendlier wife or, you know, is making more money. That's the person I have envious feelings toward. Mm -hmm. And I start to get bitter. I mean, think of even Pilate could look at the Pharisees and say, you know, uh, um, these guys do not like Jesus because Jesus has all of these people sitting there listening to him teach, and the Pharisees can't fill up their synagogues. And so he Mm. says, I know why they delivered him up to be crucified. Pilate said, because they're envious. I mean, it's just a great insight Mm. that sometimes it's the people, the competitor down the street, the guy I see at the association I'm a part of, and and his business is doing better than mine, or, or whatever it might be where it's someone I feel like they have no right to be doing better 
than me. Why are they being blessed with those things? We see it even in the scriptures where people are feeling that feeling of envy toward people, and it's clearly that they're experiencing something better than I am, and I know that they're not as godly as I am. I know they're not as as good as I am. They're not as experienced or educated as I am, and we start to feel bitter toward them, and we start lashing out. It could be gossip. It could be backbiting. It could be even trying to undermine their success in some way because we're envious. That Wow, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. And we did get a text in, and um, our listener wants to know what would be the best way to address both jealousy and envy when it comes to parenting and what our kids are feeling. Well, I'm not sure if she's talking about the fact, and and I should bring this up because it's one of the major places where we feel envy. You can have somebody that is a friend of yours when their kid is hitting the home run and your kid is striking out, you know, and when you uh, are working so hard to have your kid get to this good college and he gets rejected and your neighbor's kid gets accepted with scholarships, that is really difficult. But when I think about my children Mm. being envious, I think we need to stop teaching them something that seems so normal, and that is that they should be constantly, competitively trying to outdo their peers. Mm. Now, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. We want our kids to do the best they can before God, but really the competitiveness that we're teaching our children is really the fact when we want them not to have any rivals, to do better than all of their, their classmates, we're really teaching them a form of jealousy and envy because we ultimately want them to kind of do whatever they can to outshine everyone else. I quote an author from, you know, over a hundred years ago who was dealing with this. He was a a leader of the church in England, and uh, he speaks to this as though he's talking about stuff that we deal with today on Instagram, and yet he wrote years ago about how parents, unfortunately, uh, just think that their desire to see their kids succeed is is a kind of, of method and and motivation that really misses the point because we want these kids uh, to, 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 to succeed at all costs, at least relational costs. And, and unfortunately, what's driving that, this author says, is envy. And at the core of it, we can't teach envy, even though we're teaching it with another name. Like just, you've got to be the best. You've got to do the best. And I understand we want our kids to do well, but we need to have them look straight to Jesus and to say, what does Christ want us to do, right? Which isn't always necessarily outdoing our classmates or our friends. It may be, uh, you know, just something God wants us to quietly find my niche in life and just do it well to the glory of God. We don't have to have fame. We don't have to have success. We don't need all the scholarships necessarily. And to me, to teach parents that is almost just out. It's not even conceivable that they wouldn't want to see their kids outdo every other kid at school. And that's really not the gauge of my kid's success. It's faithfulness and stewardship and teaching my kid that contentment is far more valuable than me just saying, I outdid everyone else in my class. Amen. That is a dry uh, or a mic drop moment uh, from Mike Fabares because envy, it really is. You write this on the back of the book. It's insidious. It's pervasive. It's corrosive. But, um, Mike, let me ask you about this. Um, you talk about God's sovereignty. And why do you think that this is such an important doctrine to highlight, especially when you're trying to address this problem of envy? 
Yeah. Well, you know, I've got friends of mine that do what I do. They're, they're pastors or leaders or, or they write books or whatever. And I just know they have a brain that just works so much better than mine. They are so smart. They, they, they read books. They don't forget anything they read. And their brains are like computers. And I realize there's nothing I can do. I can't eat more carrots or, you know, <laughs> take some mental exercise or follow some path to do it like they do it. I just can't do it the way they do it. I can't, I can't keep the schedule they keep. I can't retain the information they retain. And I have to remember, God has gifted them in his sovereign plan in a different way than he's gifted me. And frankly, it's easy for me to say, well, God's gifted him in a better way. And in a, in a sense, it is better. It's okay that he's got a better brain than I do. I have to be comfortable with what God has given me and, and recognize that that's just the way it is. And, and that's one thing, right? Brains. But think about brawn. If you're raising a kid who can't, you know, he can't bench press 90 pounds and he's going to school with guys that are benching 250 pounds or uh, uh, you have a daughter and, and, and God has not gifted her with the beauty that, that other girls in her class have. Mm-hmm. And you have to recognize it's okay. God's sovereignty to dispense beauty and brains and brawn, that really is a choice of the Lord. And, and there are certain things that we can do in the stewardship with what God has given us, but he doesn't give us all the same things. And sometimes other people's blessings, just like you and I can look at people that have been handed all kinds of money, all kinds of privilege, all kinds of opportunity, and objectively you can say, well, it seems to be better that they make more money or they have a bigger reach or bigger influence. Well, that may be, but God hasn't gifted me with that. And that's okay. We're different and God gifts everyone differently. And that's a, that's really trusting in the sovereignty of God in some things that I cannot change. I just cannot be the one who sits around and pines away in envy toward other people that God has just simply blessed in, in ways that he hasn't blessed me. Mm. It's like my mom said to me when I was five, life ain't fair. Got to keep it moving. Okay, as we close, Mike, how is love the solution to much of what you write about in this book called Envy? Well, let's just talk about parenting again. And I just will use a personal example because my boys are both pastors, right? And I didn't force them to be, but I have two sons and they both are in the ministry. And I can tell you what, if I heard today that they were writing more books and had larger radio ministries and had a bigger church and they were doing everything better than I do, I would be so happy because they're my sons. I love them. And because I'm just a dad with normal love in my heart for my kids, I have no problem that they would excel past me in every way. And and yet, if I look at a guy I went to school with, you know, I graduated from Moody with, it's maybe harder for me to rejoice that he's really excelling beyond me. And, 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 the, and the difference really is the kind of love I have. And that's why we have to go back to 1 Corinthians 13 that says, and we got to remember this, love does not envy. If I really love someone, right, I don't envy them because they have advantages or accomplishments better than mine. I have to really recognize that the reason I don't envy people like my own children is because of my, the depth of my love for my children, which I don't have for my colleagues or my coworkers or my manager or my boss that got promoted when I feel like I should have been promoted. Now, I, I just think we have to recalibrate everything 
based on whether or not I love those people. And if I love them, I can learn to rejoice with those who rejoice genuinely and sincerely. And how often can we say that we rejoice with those who rejoice when they're blessed the way I would rejoice with the blessings that my children received? And the only difference is I love my children, and I love them perhaps more purely the way the Bible wants me to than I do my co-workers. So what we really need to do is to evaluate how we love the people around us and say, God, give me the love for the people in my life, the people that are in my small group, the people I go to church with, the people in my industry. Let me love them the way you'd want me to love them, which is, is with, it's with a depth of love that really helps me to know that if God blesses them, even if it's beyond me, I am happy for them. I recognize the joy of God giving good gifts to his kids, even if they're not my kids. 